0: Good morning all, Uh, particularly welcome if this is your first time around us. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Adrian, and I'll kind of be taking us through this part of it. If this is your first time around us, I guess there's one thing I'd want you to know, and that is that you are incredibly welcome here. The fact that you're in this room enriches our lives, as we believe that God has uniquely crafted each and every one of us, and there's something within each of us that therefore reveals something of just the wonder of who God is. And so the fact that you're sat here allows us to see something more of the wonder of who God is. And my hope is if you're either someone who says, I know God, or maybe you're on a journey of discovering him, that you leave just knowing that fact. Whether you kind of hang with us anymore on the journey or whether this is your moment, my hope is that you'll leave today with just that. That you've enriched us by being here and that God has fashioned you as you're made in order that you reveal something wonderful about who he is. Uh, but if this is... You're regular, maybe it is your first time. We're actually in the same boat as, as Sarah said at the beginning. We're starting a new series which we've entitled Well Being. Now, well-being is something that is a bit of a buzzword uh, around uh, society at this point in time. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. See, well-being is that desire to allow each and every one of us to live with kind of a healthy and happy life. And that's come out of an understanding that in some ways life just isn't quite working. That when we look at all of the different competing pressures that we can live with in this day and age, that actually there can come this moment of just saying, well, is life really working? Is this, it, is this all that it's meant to be? And there's various statistics that we could look at, which would kind of reveal something of that, but we haven't got time to look at all of those today. But rather, I think society is asking a big question, which is a right question. Which is, maybe we're not just meant to survive. Maybe we're meant to live with that deep sense of well-being. And actually, that's something that God has designed and desired for each and every one of us. That's how God has created us with this sense of understanding who we are as a whole person and a desire to cause us to be well within ourselves. And so you only have to look at what Jesus said when he lived on the planet, and you find that he proclaimed that he'd come to bring life and life in the full. And so if we look at that, we find in John 10, it says this. Just so you know, I kind of If you're new here, I'm going to look and read the screen. The reason for that is this, that I have a Bible that has very small print, and I'm now 43, and I'm finding that particularly this light, that I have to hold the Bible quite far to read the script, and therefore I get away with no one noticing that by reading the big script on a screen behind me. It's also that I think it's a bit weird that I then point to something and then don't look at it. I think it's kind of good to say, hey, we're reading the same thing. If you don't believe me, it's in the Bible. You can open a Bible and see that it's actually in there. I'm not just making up the words. Anyway, Jesus says this, John 10, 10 I have come that they, that's us, may have life and have it to the full. And that word full could have been expressed in terms of abundantly, exceedingly, totally filled. A life that is all about more. And Jesus says he's come not just to make us right with God, but actually to transform the whole of our being. In order that we could truly say we live with well-being. That's God's desire and heart. The challenge in that, though, is that maybe we can start to think, well, man, I look at my life and look at the circumstances I'm living with, and actually, would I be able to describe my life as one that is full? That is exceedingly... Incomparably good. And the reality is, even if we've said we've centered our life on Jesus, actually, stuff can happen that can cause us to say, I know I'm going to have this filled life, this life of fullness. And yet, actually, it just feels like sometimes life is kind of sapping stuff away from me. And we can actually, rather than saying life in full, we're kind of left thinking, well, life is kind of empty. And we love we're kind of running with that sense of life on empty. It's as though we think that how we get to live as if you, maybe you're like me in terms of driving a car. And because I'm a bit tight in terms of driving a car, I like to drive through to the amber light in terms of petrol. I, I like to get everything that's in there until I'm going to refill again. And there's a danger in terms of life that we hear that God says, actually, I've come to bring you life in full. And then we think, well, okay, I hear that, and I've got something, but I've got to carry on with life. And different things happen to us. And then we think, well, how we get to do this is, no, yeah, God, I know you're with me. I know you love me. And so I just survive and exist. I run on fumes, or maybe I'm running on empty." And our desire for this series is to show that actually God's design and desire for each and every one of us isn't that we live like that, but actually He has this way for us to live, that is for our well-being. It's about the whole of who we are. And maybe today we've come and we think, well, to be honest, I I look at I feel like it, it was enough for me just to get in the room. I feel completely spent. I feel completely empty. And my hope is that today, by the end of this morning, we're going to get some time at the very end to pray with one another, that actually it will be that moment of understanding that God longs to meet with us in that place and rushes to meet with us in kindness. But maybe you've come and you're saying, well, I'm not in that place. I think I'm kind of doing okay. Well, my hope is through this series, we're going to be able to see that actually there's a way that we're to live, looking out for the whole of us, that God desires to speak into. And to help us to do that, to start off in the series, I want to look at a story in the Old Testament around an amazing guy called Elijah. And in it, what we're going to discover is through this story and a particular part of it is that there's this way that God has designed, a plan that God has designed to allow us to know well-being. And in it, we're going to discover through this story, God's grace That God is always one who is filled with love and mercy towards you and towards me. We're going to discover this is a story of hope. That maybe we've come this morning, we think, man, I can't ever see an end to this. And yet what we're going to find by the end of this is that God says, this isn't the whole of your story. There is always hope. And then my hope is also that we're going to see that through this, that there is a promise of wholeness. A wholeness within the whole of who we are. And we're going to discover through this story around Elijah. And my hope is that as we live understanding this for ourselves, we then begin to realize that what we've known, we then get to show. We then get to show to the world out there that saying, actually, we want to live in well-being. And rather as saying, kind of well, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, we then get to say, actually, do you know what? I want to show you about Jesus, because actually in Jesus, you can find what you're longing for in terms of well-being. And so this isn't just for ourselves. It's actually for the whole of the world around us. But it has to start in here. Because my concern is that there could be a potential of us kind of open the doors and say, right, okay, let's just do a course on well-being for everyone and anyone without fully starting to inhabit it for ourselves. And the problem is, if we live that way, is that people come around us and say, hey, this sounds good. But when they look at us, they think, but how come you don't live with it? It has to start with us before we begin to speak to others. So let's look at this story then, 1 Kings 19. We pick up with Elijah. Elijah, incredible man used by God, where we find that previous to this part of the story, he's been living in these moments of unbelievable kind of breakthrough and miraculous things happening around him. So he's seen the miraculous provision of food and water. He's raised someone from the dead. Kind of a normal day, isn't it? He's kind of both spoken over the weather and said it's not going to rain, and then spoken again after a number of years, and suddenly it starts raining again. He's someone who we've just found out has taken on the powers that be, revealing that God is, is nothing, by saying, let's, let's call down fire from heaven and calling down fire at a point where he gets this kind of big sacrifice thing kind of working. And then pours water over it in order that he'd show that this, there's no way this thing's going to light. And then God comes, breaks in, and suddenly there's fire from heaven. And something that should not combust does. And having got to that point of just these amazing moments of standing between God and what was going wrong and saying this is who God is, and this is what God can do, suddenly we find this moment. We find it in this read. I think I'll read from this side this time. Does that sound all right? We'll do it, and then we might switch. So we find this. He says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. As he'd just seen, a load of prophets killed. So in other words, I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimski, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Within this story, we can be left thinking, well, this is kind of like a bygone era. And there can be those moments thinking, there's a lot of death and swords and killing and bowel and all of that stuff. Yet within it, I think there's something that is there that is fresh for us to take today. Because in this moment, we discover something about the reality of where Elijah was and how God came and met with him. And then, in him meeting with him, he then restored him. Restored him in a way that he would then know well being and could go off in terms of the adventures that God had for him. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Within our time of worship, that what came through was this continual sense of God just meets us where we're at. That even at the very end, Colin coming through and saying, actually, it isn't just that God meets us where we're at. It's also that we don't have to rush even forward to meeting. We may feel like we're just stuck here and think, well, this is as far as I can go. And God said, that's far enough. I'm, I'm with you. And the story of Elijah is one of those stories. This is as far as I can go. You see, Elijah had got to a point where he just felt overwhelmed. Find it in verse 3. He'd seen all these different victories in God, and yet it hadn't been without it taking a toll on himself. And got to a point where, actually, he'd seen many different battles. Yet this one, where suddenly someone comes in again and kind of threatens his life, sends him over. Sends him over the edge of thinking, I I just can't deal with this. And we find that he just, in this moment, feels overwhelmed. The pressures of life just feel too much, and we find that, actually, he becomes afraid. Up to this point... It doesn't feel like fear is even in his radar. It doesn't feel like it's part of his vocabulary. But in this moment, suddenly in the intensity of the pressure of life, he finds himself afraid. Afraid of what's going to happen to him. And in that moment of fear taking root, it causes him to just think I just need to be I just need to get out of here. I need to get out of here we find him on the run. And you see, for different ones of us, we can find that we have these moments and maybe we're a follower of Jesus and we think, oh yeah, there's all these things that are going well in my life. And then suddenly something can happen and we can feel overwhelmed by the situation. And we say, "I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it through this. And we think, I want out. I want away from this. And you see, that moment of feeling overwhelmed caused Elijah to get to that point of realizing that he was empty. You know, we could beat around the bush and kind of forget that he was under a bush. I just thought that. I, thought, honest, I, I know it's not that good. It's a slightly cheesy one. But it just came to mind. I thought I might say that because I, I quite like that. But... Um, for some of you, you're thinking, I'm new here, I don't get what's going on in your brain. But to be honest, sometimes I don't. But in this moment, what we find about Elijah is something that we don't like to talk about. You see, when he gets this place, he gets this point of realising that he is overwhelmed, but he also realises that he's completely empty. And in his emptiness, it causes him to think, I'm totally alone. He wasn't alone. He actually started, set off on his journey with someone with him, his servant, someone who was his companion, and he gets to a point of such emptiness that causes him to think, Do "You know what? I don't even want you around." And so he leaves him and travels for a day to total isolation because he can't be with anyone. Such is that feeling of overwhelm, of the feeling of being overwhelmed, that he feels completely isolated, and isn't just something he feels; it's something that is real because he's taken himself there. He is totally alone. And we can dress it up and say, oh, yeah, he felt alone. And then he has this moment saying, oh, God, I feel alone. No, no. He felt completely overwhelmed and desperate. He felt isolated and got to a point where he just thought, the only best solution here is that I die. You can dress it up, but it's what he says, isn't it? I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. That's a reality. Sometimes it gets to that point. And we can talk and say, oh, yeah, but come on, Adrian, beef it up a bit. Now, sometimes we just have to speak at the reality. Now, this is a guy who'd seen unbelievable things in God. And suddenly, life overwhelms him. Suddenly, fear takes root. And within a very short time, period of time, he's gone from a place of, God, you can do everything, anything and everything, to who am I? God, I wish I was dead. I cannot see any way out of this. And for some of us, we know what that feels like. For some of us in this room, we know what it's like when we suddenly feel like darkness is encompassing us. We suddenly feel like those moments of circumstances that are overwhelming us, so much so that we feel there is no way out. We find ourselves just curled up, may not be under a physical bush, but kind of metaphorical bush, just curled up there saying, God, I want out. Or maybe we're not a follower of Jesus and we know we've got to that point and we think, I just want out. Maybe today, some of us in this room are at that point. And that isn't something to hide away. It's something to come to God with and say, this is where I'm at. I want out. Because the most amazing thing is that this point is the point in which God's kindness is revealed. God doesn't come and smack him around and say, what are you playing at? Get back out there. God meets Elijah exactly where he is and meets him with such kindness in order to restore him. And we're going to look at that in a moment. He's going to restore him in five specific ways, five specific ways that whether we feel we're at the empty point, whether we feel we've got to that point of saying, I can't get on anymore or anywhere before that. Maybe we think, actually, no, actually my life's all right at the moment. Actually, these five things we're going to look at are the pattern, the plan that God has for you and for me of how we're to live with well-being. But the reality is this, that sometimes we can get to places like Elijah did, I'm not going to now say for every single one of us in this room, we are going to get to that place. But it isn't about the weakness or strength of our faith in God. It's not that we're a failure if we do. It just happens sometimes. I can think back, and I can think back nine years ago. Very specific, isn't it? Usually you round up to ten or five. Nine years ago is what I'm talking about. Nine years ago, I get to this point, and I've just battled through a number of things in leading Oasis. Love Oasis, but sometimes you feel like, come on. We can do this, but but in it it 's real people with real lives, and sometimes real people with real lives in their hurt and pain seek to strike out, as I always say we 're called to be shepherds, and in shepherding, we understand, understand something about sheep. sheep like following, but they also bite, and when they bite, it means usually they 're hurt or confused, and so i 've been bitten a lot, and I got to a point and I'd understood the biting. I'd understand, understood the bit where you kind of, come on, we can do this. We'd done loads of different challenges, done loads of new things. And suddenly it was a Saturday morning and I get a call from someone in their hurt expressing something to me. And I still can remember I was in um, a cotteridge in a shop trying to choose a card for someone's birthday. I get this call, Clinton's Cotteridge no advertising. There's other card shops in Cotteridge that you could go to. Um, so I'm there, get the call. At the end of this call, I hang up and I start crying. I didn't feel like that call was like overwhelming. It just suddenly, something happened in me that in that moment, I felt overwhelmed. It felt like I've got this far, but I can't go any further. And I started crying. I don't know if you ever cried in a card shop, but it's a little bit embarrassing. People kind of think, man, it's not that big a choice. You know, <laughs> that's a... It's also I wasn't looking at the sympathy cards, I was looking at the birthday cards. And I just weeping. Quite uncontrollably looking at birthday cards. I realised that probably I'm not gonna be in the right frame of mind to buy a birthday card. So I leave the shop, get to my car, I think, come on, I can get this together. God, I, I feel like I'm totally overwhelmed. So I'm doing all the right stuff. Pray, pray, i got this thing. but I can't stop crying. This is ten in the morning. Nine in the evening, I'm still crying. Hey, man, I didn't realize I'd got that much water in my body. <laughs> but it's there, and I remember calling Gus, calling another friend as well, Martin, and just saying, I, I feel like I can't go on. I feel like my body's done. And you know what they said to me? "He said, read 1 Kings 19. Because there's some help there for when you get to that point. So that's what I did. And this is what happens when you do. Because we get to those points where we think, I can't carry on. And in that moment, we realize that God is this God, as he always promised, who's a father of comfort and compassion, not rebuke and judgment. And so what we discover in this is what Elijah discovered, is that God restores Elijah in five specific ways. Firstly, he restores him physically. Verse 6, we find this, that God sends an angel, one of his messengers, to meet with Elijah under the bush. What does he do? He simply wakes Elijah up and tells him to eat, to drink, and then sleep doesn't tell him, eat, sleep, rave, repeat. He doesn't do that. He says, eat, drink, sleep. Why? Because God recognizes that we are physical beings. That we're those that need to be taken care of in terms of the physicality of who we are. And at this point, Elijah is completely spent. And so the first thing that needs to happen is that God needs to meet him in his spent condition and say, okay, now in this place, Look after yourself, eat, drink, sleep. I tell you what, after that Saturday at Clinton's, I spent the next three days sleeping, eating, drinking. That's all I did. For some of us in this room, we need to hear that, that God longs to meet with us, but the starting point is literally to be taken care of physically. That in this moment was a pause moment. and saying, okay, Stop. Stop, don't keep trying to go on. I meet you in this place, slept under a bush. And I say, now rest, eat, drink, sleep. But having taken care physically to seek to restore him there, we then find out that God then impacts him and seeks to restore him mentally. So we find in verse 7, it says, this is going to be a journey that you can't do in yourself. It's going to be too much for you. We're going to find out throughout this scripture, actually, that you see that God comes and meets Elijah in respect to how he was doing mentally. You see, in terms of his mental well-being at this point, he was spent. He recognized, he thought, I'm, I'm the only one here. There's no one else around. At this point, God doesn't come around and say, "Hey, no, you're not. There's 7,000 others. I'm here. You's just servant over there oh yeah, I've got all these people lined up for you. No, God doesn't say that stuff. just comes and meets and says, hey, you don't need to try and figure this out yourself. Come and allow me to take responsibility for you. And sometimes when we're looking mentally that God's wanting to come in respect to our thinking and to cause us to know that we don't have to try and figure this out. It isn't that if we kind of, curve in within ourselves and say, well, now, if I spend long enough, I'll be able to get myself out of this. But it's at exactly this point that God says, no, no, don't try and figure this out for yourself. I want you to come and just give this to me. But it's also we're going to find out, and what you see through this is having given it to him, then God begins a path of renewing his mind, a renewing way of his thinking, of getting him to see, actually, no, you're not alone. Getting him to understand that God's going to be with him. Get him to understand by the end, as I said, that actually there's a whole host of people that are still going to be his community for him. But first of all, it isn't the renewing of the mind. It's just literally that God comes and restores him by saying, you don't have to try and figure this out. You can give it to me. Trust me. Third thing. What's is, is emotionally. So verse 4 and 10. Here's the deal. God gives space for Elijah to express exactly how he 's feeling it's so important that in terms of who we are, we are a physical being, we're a mental uh, being, we have a thinking, but we also are made up emotionally, and our emotions are important, and God sees this and so it allows Elijah space to express exactly how he's feeling why because to keep it inside is not going to do him good when he's kept inside it gets him to that point of thinking i'm completely trapped by how i feel i can't see a way out so god says well how are you doing he's able to say i actually i'm I'm the end of myself i want to die that's how i'm feeling pretty black he also then goes on and says, hey, do you know what? I feel totally alone. There's no one left. It's just me. At this point, God doesn't go in and say, oh, no, that's not true. Got loads of stuff for you to do. You are alive. Don't worry about dying. He doesn't come in and say, oh, don't worry. You're not alone. There's loads of people. No, he allows Elijah to give voice to how he's feeling. Because then, in giving voice to that, he knows that he's understood. And in understanding, God can then come and comfort him. So God comes and wants to see how we're doing the wholeness of who we are emotionally. Then fourthly, it's spiritually. So God comes to encounter Elijah. Here's the thing that I find is quite interesting. is that God restores Elijah physically, mentally, and emotionally before he does it spiritually physically emotionally mentally before the spiritual encounter now at this point you could argue and say no no there was a spiritual encounter in god coming and saying eat sleep and drink yes that was a god moment a god moment just getting into the ordinary and saying this is what you need to do because this is as important as what's going to come on the encounter with god but sometimes I think as followers of Jesus, we can think, oh, no, no, first put of call, spiritually, I'm not doing great. Okay, rush in. God, God, you God, you God, you God, come and encounter me. When we're still spent, we have nothing there for God to come and encounter. So God, in his kindness and love and mercy and compassion, comes and meets with us and gets us ready for the encounter through restoring us physically, mentally, and emotionally in order that we can be at a place to be open to all that he's wanting to do in and through us. And what God does then is he encounters Elijah exactly where he's at. I love the encounter here. It's probably my favourite encounter God does with a human being throughout the whole of the Bible. Because you think it's going to be in all the first stuff. You think it's going to be in, yeah, rock, breaking wind. Yes, earthquake, definitely God. Oh, yes, fire. Yes, and then it just says, a whisper. A whisper wind. And there it is. And life says, oh, God's here. Why? Because God tenderly, lovingly meets with us where we're at. He doesn't come through and just go, that's it, meet with you, bam! No, it's not that. It's that God comes and tenderly takes us to encounter with him. Sorry, waking up babies. That even sat at the front row so that you wouldn't get bothered by the speakers, and I still wake them up. I'm very sorry. That God tenderly meets with us and encounters us in that place. Because God's longing is understanding that, yes, we're physical, yes, we're mental, yes, we're made up emotionally, but we're also a spiritual being, and he longs to encounter us in that place, but does it sensitively in the reality of where we're at to restore us. And then lastly, we find that it's in respect to relational Relationally, God meets Elijah and reminds him at this point, you're not alone. It's so important we're wired, whether we think we're introverted or extroverted, all those different ways we can describe ourselves that actually ultimately we're wired for connection with others. And for some of us, we like loads of that connection and some of it we just need deep, small amounts but whatever, we are wired for connection, for relationship. And God gets Elijah to that point of saying, actually, for you to continue, you need to understand you also need to be connected or relationally. And you're not alone, you're not isolated. Here's these people I've lined up already that are going to be part of your next phase of your journey. There's also this massive crowd who you thought that you were the only one left. Oh no, there's at least 7,000. You're not alone. That God longs. For us each to find meaningful connections in relationship with one another. That's why we do this. Not to sit in a cinema looking at each other. Yes, there's moments of encouragement in it, but there's a moment of saying, actually, we're not alone. It isn't just me and God. It's us and God because we're always together, his people. We then get to stand with one another in the realities of what's going on in our lives. So God comes and says, I'm going to restore you in these five ways. And in doing it, he brings well-being to Elijah See, what we find in this story is what I said at the beginning is that suddenly this story is a story that reveals God's grace. That God's unconditional love and mercy and favor towards us is always for our good. It's always there to bring us hope. Elijah finishes this story from a place of, I wish I was dead, to understanding that the best was yet to come. And that for everyone in this room, that's our story. That God's desire and design is that we would know there is always hope. But also we have seen this story that God is after us being whole. He's not just after a part of us being full. He's after us knowing life in fullness. That isn't just about our connection with him, though it is about that. It's also about how we're designed as humans. That we'd know wholeness, fullness... Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at those five areas. But for today, my question is, how are we doing in respect to well-being? How are you doing in respect to those five areas? I often use this as a way of monitoring how am I doing in respect to the fullness of life that Jesus offers And taking each of these areas, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and just saying, am I nearing empty or am I on full? And what do I need to do to get to a point of fullness? But at the moment, I just want us to simply ask, where am I at? Where am I at on these different ones? And maybe for some of us, it's just that we know the reality today is that we're more going towards empty than full. And it's for you particularly, I felt today, God wanted to encounter with you. That in a moment, I'm going to invite us forward to get prayed for. At that point, it can feel weird, can't it? I think, why do we have to go to the front? Well, just because there's room. That's the, it, This is the entire reason. It's just because there's room. The second thing that can happen is you can think, yeah, but... We're in really fixed rows, and it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to move past other people. Yeah, it is. Whenever I sit in the middle of a row, I always end up bumping people's knees. I try to suddenly forget I was meant to go and say something at the front. I'm like, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Every single person in this room is deeply grateful when any one of us says, I need to move out because I need to encounter God which shifts the embarrassment because suddenly we realize this isn't a moment of awkwardness. It's a moment where we're being encouraged, pushed on to come and encounter with God because every single person in this room wants that to happen. That deals with the embarrassment. Which then thirdly means that then we can just come. Just as we are. That was the promise in worship, isn't it? Not, oh God, I've got all this stuff sorted. No, no, it's just this is where I'm at. God, come and meet with me. This is what Jesus said. To us, we're in that place. Matthew 11 says this Take my yoke upon me, put upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the promise Jesus has for you and for me today rest, the deepest rest possible in the very core of who we are. And he is gentle, which means this Matthew 12:20, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Maybe today you're just feeling bruised. Maybe today you feel like you're smoldering. God is gentle in encountering you. Should we stand? I'm just gonna ask Andrew who's gonna play, just cause it feels it makes it feel less awkward, basically. If it's totally silent, we all start feeling Whoa! just can we just close our eyes just where we are? I just want to give us like 10 seconds. That's not long, is it? That's because I don't want to stew on it. 10 seconds to basically think, would I like to get prayed for today? Yes or no? For some of us we are thinking, no, no, it's for everyone else. No, no, it's for you. For some of us we are thinking, telling me I need to. Because when I get to that 10-second mark, I'm then going to say, come forward. And you're going to come. And not worry about what other people think, because actually what they're thinking is fantastic, they've gone. And then I'll basically get to stand up front, I'll pray a prayer, and then ask some other people to come and stand with you to pray for you. In actual fact, I'm going to make it easier. There's some other people who've been asked to pray for people. I'd ask you to come forward when we get to 10 seconds. So, 10 seconds. Go. Okay, if you want to get prayed for, just come forward now. If you just stack up in a line left to right, it just really helps give a bit of space between you and other people. Some of you are thinking, there's a lot of people coming forward. Maybe I shouldn't. No, no, you should as well. We've got time. We'll keep going until we've prayed for everyone who's come forward. Some of you are thinking, I don't need to come. Let's take fine. I don't. That's okay as well. Just keep coming. We'll open the corridor. We can spill out into the corridor as well. There's loads of room. Just keep coming. Okay, just if I can ask everyone now, if we can just, just close our eyes. just those of you who've come forward, just put your hands out. Just as a way of saying, God, this is where I'm at. Just in this moment, just say, this is it. This is where I'm at. And just in having put your hands up, saying, this is where I'm at, you then say, God, I receive you coming to meet with me now here. I'm going to pray for you. And just different people are going to get around and just pray for you. They'll probably ask you your name just so they can be specific in praying. They'll ask girls with girls, guys with guys, just so it doesn't feel awkward. And just, if there's anyone else then who's still sat down and wants to come and pray, that would be helpful. If you're part of Oasis, really love you to do it. If you've got kids, if you want to go and get them, that'd be great. But I'm just going to pray now. Jesus, I thank you that you came in order that we would know life and life in full. And God, I thank you that in doing that, it isn't that we're there to live with a pretense of pretending we've got that. But rather, God, that your desire is to meet with us in the reality of where we're at and cause us to know fresh encounters with you, to know that you are with us and you understand where we're at. And I just pray for every individual that's come forward, just where they're at that point of, just differing points of feeling spent, pray God would you come and would you by your spirit just meet with every individual pray come and bring the understanding that only you can bring come and breathe the life that only you can bring ask that Jesus